and perhaps we can all read it together as it's displayed on the screen. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, today is uh, week two of our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And you may remember we've called this series God's New Society. Because what Paul does in this letter is describe God's great plan and purpose through the church to, to recreate his new society in which sinful people like you and I are reconciled back to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus and in which we seek to live as children of light rather than children of the darkness and we do this Paul encourages us in unity together Jew and Gentile black and white male and female old and young all nationalities because we are all one in Christ Jesus now you may remember if you were here last week that Paul refers to all the members of God's new society as the saints and this is not because I'm going to support Southampton I will never never no no um, but I hope you might remember from last week that the title saints has nothing to do with some form of spiritual elite or the leaders of the church no we are all saints because the word saint means to be set apart for God, belonging to God. We are God's people, God's possession. And we are called to live holy lives. That's what a saint is. So we also today, if you're a believer here this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, you are a saint. And this letter, like the rest of the Bible, is written for you and for me 
to teach us, to correct us, to help us grow mature, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we saw last week that Paul was writing to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And he said they've got two homes. They're in Ephesus, which is modern-day western Turkey, and they're in Christ, because by faith they are vitally joined and personally linked to Jesus Christ in him, as a branch is in the vine. And you and I have two homes. We live in the secular world, but we're also in Christ. And we must never forget that we've got a dual passport. We've got, we're dual citizens. Before we became a Christian, we were just citizens of this world. A UK passport holder. But by God's grace, I've now got a heavenly passport. I'm a citizen of two kingdoms and there's a day coming when that new passport that I've got will give me entrance into the eternal kingdom of heaven and the new earth. In fact, in verse 18, Paul talks about the hope to which God has called us. And that's not wishful thinking or I hope I'm going to win the lottery. Talk to me afterwards if you struggle with that one, and I'll take your pound off of you. But Christian hope is a certain future, because I've got a passport that's signed in Christ's blood. So I'm in the world now, but I'm also in Christ. And as Christians, don't look back continually to your pre-Christian days. Remember, you're a dual citizen. Don't be like the Israelites, continually pining back for Egypt. Or like Lot's wife, looking back to Sodom and changed into a pillar of salt. Rather look forward with anticipation and excitement. Yes, I've got a dual passport, but one day I'm just going to have a single passport because I'm going to be in eternity with God. And so Paul is concerned in the passage that we read, that the Christians in Ephesus and for us today really know what it means to be in Christ. Verse 17, he wants us to know God better and to know all that we have in the Lord Jesus. You see, I'll confess I suffer from this, I don't know whether you do. Are there times when you suffer an identity crisis? Who am I? Who am I really? Do I really believe? Am I really in Christ? But Paul says, don't suffer that. You are in Christ and I'm praying for you in Ephesus and for us today that we might know God better so that we can live for his glory. George Bush senior, when he was president of the United States, went on a presidential visit to an old folks home. And there was a man there, elderly gentleman, fast asleep. So he gently woke him up and he said, do you know who I am? And the man said, no, but if you have a word with the nurse over there, they're very good at that sort of thing. Now, 
knowing who God is and who you are in Christ enables you by his grace to glorify him and to live a holy life which is in the right sense confident in God. You're not confident in yourself but you're confident in God because you know you're in Christ. You've got the passport sealed and signed in Christ's blood. Now, last week when we looked at uh, verses 3 to 14, you may recall that's one long sentence in the Greek. And it's a great outpouring of praise. Paul continues bubbling over with this praise to God for all that he's done. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But when we get to verses 15 to 23, lo and behold, it's another long single sentence in the Greek. And this sentence is effectively a sentence of prayer. Pouring out prayer in one long uh, sentence to God for the Ephesians. And so you can sum up Ephesians chapter 1 as praise and prayer. Now that's a very healthy combination, isn't it? Praising God for all that you've got in Christ and praying that you'll know more of his fullness in your life. We've got everything we need in Christ, verses 3 to 14. We've got the Holy Spirit. But we want more. We want to really experience this, to really know the certainty of it and to live in the benefit of it. That's verses 15 to 23. So, when you become a Christian, you are baptised with the Holy Spirit. And each day thereafter, you seek to pray as Paul encourages us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but you want more. Praise and prayer. Let's make sure we keep the two together. Someone has also said that if you're ever asked, how's it going in Church Crookham Baptist Church? A good answer is to say, well, we're in Ephesians 1. Half praise, half prayer. We've got lots to be thankful for, but we've also got a long way to go. That's a good prayer, that is. It's a good answer. Because some would answer, oh, we're struggling, we're praying, we're praying. Oh, yes, keep praying, good. But remember the great blessings that we have in Christ. Be thankful to uh, to God, verses 3 to 14, and pray to God, verses 15 to 23. This is healthy, balanced Christianity. Now, last week when we looked at verses 1 to 14, we were under the heading, God's new society, his precious possession. This week, verses 15 to 23, we are to be people of prayerful power. Have a look at the second page of the bulletin. You see I've had another attack of the letter P. In fact, I've almost thought, can I get through the whole of Ephesians with every point beginning with the letter P? Now, I don't think so. And to encourage you, although there are four Indeed. And that was a pointless remark. (laughs) But to encourage you, I'm only going to deal with one of the four points on the bulletin. 
There's so much to cover here that we'll look just at prayer and we'll have a look at the other three points next week, God willing. Now, first of all then, prayer. Powerful prayer, prayerful power, fit together as it were. And there's a lot we can learn in these verses about prayer. It's not the complete teaching of the Bible on prayer, but we can learn a lot. We've already seen that Paul's starting point in prayer is thanksgiving. And he says, verse 15, for this reason. What's he got in mind there? Well, he's got in mind, I've just, pray, I've just praised God for all he's done and for all, for all that reason. And I can see the outworking of that in you Ephesians that you have faith in the Lord Jesus. I am thankful to God. Paul often, if you look through the letters that he writes, starts by thanking God for the people he's writing to. Perhaps the most surprising example of this, I find this staggering actually, is if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you know perhaps 1 Corinthians is one of Paul's straightest letters where he has to deal with a lot of serious problems in the church, yet right at the beginning he says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for all the Corinthian Christians. Why? Well, primarily because he sees God's grace at work in their lives. Yes, Mrs. Flushpool may be awkward. Yes, Mr. Stuck-in-the-mud may be difficult, but they are my sister and brother in Christ. They've received God's grace just as much as I have. And actually, I then ask them, what do they call me? So, let's thank God, first of all, for each other. And this is Paul's first point in his prayer. It's not kind of an afterthought as he's prayed for everything. Oh, by the way, yeah, I do thank you for the church. No, this is his first thought. I'm thanking you, Lord, for you people because of the grace that God has poured into your lives. But you see, Paul is especially thankful because he's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. Faith and love together are the basic hallmarks of being a Christian. Many people think being a Christian is keeping the Ten Commandments, as we heard earlier, and um, praying and reading the Bible and doing your best. The Bible actually has a different view entirely. It's about faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But as I trust in him, and as I totally rely on Christ for my salvation, because he died on the cross in my place, then I start out on a pathway of loving God with all my life. Of course, Jesus said... That was the first commandment. Anyway, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. So as I have faith in the Lord Jesus, I'm keeping the first commandment. But that faith in God must and will be demonstrated in the way I live. In my love for other people and especially other Christians. And of course that's obedience then to the second great commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. If 
you don't love each other, I've got to have a serious question in my mind over your faith. And if I don't love you, you must have a serious doubt in your mind as to whether I truly believe. Because true faith will demonstrate itself in works, in love. It's why James says, faith without works is dead. He's not contradicting Paul, but he is supporting Paul that we are justified by faith alone, but true faith is demonstrated in loving each other. It's similarly true that I've got to have a question mark over someone's understanding and receipt of the forgiveness of God if they're not prepared to forgive others. If they harbour bitterness and hatred in their hearts, have they really received and understood the forgiveness and the love of God? Let's examine our hearts. And Paul says... Faith and love, they come together. Now, in case you think, ah, Paul's being inconsistent here because whenever he talks about faith and love, he always mentions hope. You remember 1 Corinthians 13, you might have been married to it, that there's a Christian kind of triad, triad, equilateral triangle. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Well, actually, of course, Paul mentions hope in verse 18. He's also mentioned it, as we saw last week, in verse 12. You were the first to hope in Christ. So, faith, hope and love. These are the basic hallmarks of being a Christian. Let's therefore thank God for each other. And notice, Paul prays for all the saints. He's not just praying for the leaders of the church or for the people he knows. He prays for all the people. Let's pray that each of our faith may increase in Jesus. For those who are going through difficult times, that they'll cling on by faith to God, that we'll be able to explain our faith through Christianity Explored, through all the endeavours of this church, and that we'll demonstrate our faith to the world by showing love to each other and to those outside the church. And at the same time, because we've got faith and love, we have a hope in God that there's a bright future to come. There is eternal joy and healing and peace uh, and joy in God that is ahead of us. Now notice in verse 16, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Prayer, I find, we've said this before, but I'll say to you again, I find one of the hardest, if not the hardest aspect of being a Christian. I uh, think each week, yes, I'm going to really pray through this week. But it's tough. You can go to Living Stones, you can get on the Amazon website and you get all sorts of books, The Secrets of Prayer, Seven Secrets of Success in Prayer. I actually don't think there's an easy answer or a great secret. But what I've got here in verse 16 is a hint and it's another example of Christian balance. 
We've already referred to one example and there'll be more to come here in this letter. And there's the balance, you see, between delighting in prayer and being disciplined in prayer. Paul hasn't stopped giving thanks for the Ephesians because he loves them. It's not difficult for him. They're in his heart. I hope and pray that we're all in each other's hearts. And he wants to give thanks to them, to God for them. But at the same time, it says, he remembers them in his prayers. Perhaps he had a prayer list. By the way, he writes to all the other churches and individuals he refers to in his letters, it must have been a very long list. Have you ever said, I'll pray for you? And then weeks later, you see the person, and not only have you forgotten to pray for them, you've even forgotten their name. I've done that. Who is my wife? I've forgotten. No, no. Let's seek. Now, each of us are different. You may have a way of remembering uh, to pray for everybody in the church. I don't actually at present on the prayer items from Monday through to Sunday put names of people but that may be one way that you can do it so on Monday you're praying for the A's to the C's and Tuesday the D's to the F's in whatever way remember each other in prayer now when we turn to verse 17 we see that Paul, Paul's prayers are Trinitarian. Last week we thought about the work of the Trinity, that great work of the sovereign, loving, gracious Trinity, working in harmony together. The Father planning my salvation from eternity past. The Son purchasing my salvation in time and space and the Holy Spirit applying that salvation to me and being the promise and guarantee of the future that's to come. Past, present, future, the Trinity working together sovereignly in grace, in love for my salvation. And here in verse 17, Paul prays to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You know that the word Trinity is, is not actually in the Bible, but it is biblically through and through, biblical through and through. People say, where is the Trinity in the Bible? Well, here's an example, verse 17. We've got God, the glorious Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And Paul says, I'm praying to God the Father. Now, it is not wrong to pray to the Lord Jesus or to pray to the Holy Spirit we were just singing earlier a prayer O breath of life come sweeping through us that's a prayer to the Holy Spirit but the norm here and throughout the scriptures is that you and I come to God the Father that's how Jesus taught us didn't he when we pray our Father who art in heaven but can you see a wonderful balance here? Another, one, another example of this Christian balance. Paul describes the Father as the glorious Father. God is my loving Father. 
I want to understand that more and more. This is part of knowing my identity as a son and a daughter of God. That he is my father who wants the very best for me. Who is working everything out for my good. Who loves hearing me when I come to him. As I love, even now, talking to my children. Even listening to Fiona prattling on. I love... I love hearing my children texting me, emailing, talking to me. I love hearing them as a father. Don't I think God, as my father, loves hearing me? Yes, he does. And I don't have to come trying to manipulate him or trick him in any way. God knows what is best for me. He is kind, he is generous, he is gracious to me, but he is also glorious. He is in heaven. I'm on the earth. He's holy. I need his forgiveness. His ways, his thoughts are way above mine. I'm made in his image. He's not made in my image. He is awesome. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's eternal. I must come with joy to my Father, but also in reverent worship to my awesome God. And as we pray to the glorious Father, we must must remember that we can only do this and we can only come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And later on in this prayer, Paul describes in verse 20 and 21 how Christ is now far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion. Everything is beneath his feet. He's got his foot like on a footstool on everything beneath him. Now with that in mind, of course, how can you contemplate the absurd notion that there are other gods equal to Jesus, able to get me to God? So I can come to God in a different way than through the Lord Jesus. How stupid that is. He is the way. Everything else is at his feet. No, Christ alone is the one who brings me to God. He's the only one who came to reveal the Father to us when he lived on this earth. He's the only one who died on the cross in my place. And he's the only one who's alive forevermore, risen from the dead. Now when Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, etc., he's not diminishing Jesus, but rather what he's doing is pointing to the fact that Jesus truly was a man. He's the Son of God, yes, but he's also the Son of Man. And as a man, humbly, he looked up to the Father as his God and as a perfect sinless man he is my mediator the one I come through and he brings me to God and our prayers come through Jesus we come to God because of him but we also need we come to the Father through the Son but we also need the enabling of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of wisdom and revelation How can I see God? How can I understand the things of God when I'm blind? How can I hear the voice of God when I'm deaf? How can I live the life of God when I'm dead? 
Can I somehow grope my way to God? I was thinking of those people on the Isle of Sheppey during the week crossing over, just crashing in to cars because of the fog, groping their way, finding ahead of them disaster and destruction that they couldn't see. Is that how you find God? Not at all. The spirit of wisdom and revelation opens our eyes. He reveals God to us. He gives me spiritual understanding and he's the spirit of wisdom because we know from what the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Dawkins may be incredibly clever, far more clever than ever I or any of us will be. But in God's eyes, he's a fool. Because the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But don't think you're any wiser than Dawkins in your own wisdom, in your own understanding, in your own revelation. You need, I need the wisdom, the understanding, the revelation of God's Spirit not my own. And the Spirit is especially the one who helps me in my prayers because he reveals God's grace to me. He helps me understand the Scriptures. He gives me understanding of God's will. So pray for each other. Pray for yourselves day by day. Lord, for more of your Spirit of wisdom and revelation so I'll know how to live today wise fearing you in the right sense of that word, not being scared of God but in awe and wonder of him. Wise knowing the right from the wrong and having revelation, seeing things as they truly are. Not seeing things as they appear. I I have a real problem with this that when I see something or hear something I believe it immediately to be true. I've got to see through it. What's God's truth? What is God's will? What is God's way in all of this? And if you're not a Christian here this morning, don't think that somehow you'll find your way to God. You'll never do it. Just pray to the Lord. Send me your spirit, Lord. Open my eyes. Give me understanding. Help me to believe. And he'll do that. He will answer that prayer. So let's be Trinitarian in our prayers. But what does Paul pray for? Well... First of all, he says in verse 17, so that you may know him better. That you may know God better. That's his first prayer. Now when the Bible talks about knowing God, it doesn't mean knowing facts about God, knowing stories and things about God. It actually means knowing God in a deep, personal, real intimate way. The Bible actually uses the term to know often in the sense of a husband knowing his wife in a very real, intimate, one flesh union way. And that's what Paul's praying for you and I. That I'll know God truly, deeply, intimately. Do you ever really feel God? There have been odd occasions in my life when I have emotionally felt God. I'll share a secret with you. It's some years ago, but it's happened since as well. Uh, Not in the same place, fortunately, but I was pushing the trolley around Aldershot Tesco's very late at night. I'm glad it was very late. And as I went through the freezer section, 
I was overwhelmed in tears. Feeling the presence of God. Fortunately, no one else was in the shop at the time. (laughs) But feel God. Experience God. Know God. I mean, I know a lot about Jill. I shake her hand. We talk pleasantries about the weather. Nonsense. Well, of course, we talk about things like that. But a man and a wife has an intimate knowledge of each other. And that's what Paul is praying, that you will know God. Pray for that, for each of us. And this knowledge of God is to thrill my heart because it tells me of a God who loves me. It tells me of a God who's got a plan and a purpose for my life and who's got a glorious future planned out for me. Past, present, future is all in God. And this knowledge tells me what he's like and how I should live to please him. Which is the best way of living anyway. Because if I live to please God, then I'm living the way God made me. I'll feel at peace. I'll be operating in accordance with the maker's instructions. So what should we pray for each other? Yes, pray for blessing. Pray for guidance, for health, for jobs, for holidays, children, homes, whatever. But first of all, pray that you and I will know God better. Let's pray for this for our children. Do you pray that day by day for your children? Lord, that they may know you and know you better. That is a great prayer. Keep praying it day by day. Pray for your work colleagues, your next door neighbours, your family and especially pray for each other in CCBC. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've got a question then. Do you truly know God? And if so, are you seeking to know him better? That is part of prayerful power. And we'll endeavour next week to look at the rest of this chapter as we continue to study Paul's prayer. We're going to sing again the song, the hymn we started with. Let's worship God together.